Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Listen, only because this is a Mother Earth, ladies and gentlemen. She loves the uh, the green earth and things that are good and the organic gardener that she is. Jessica Wallace, you know, I keep hearing all, and she's here today, I keep hearing all these stories about the ocean and the plastic and the wonderful, you know, life that lives in the ocean and how it's suffering and recently, I don't know why, and today we've had more wind over the last 12 hours. It's going to even be worse. But I kind of went out in the last few days while working at home in my office. I'd take like a break after an hour or so and go out and clean up around the yard. There's stuff, plastic, straws, paper bags everywhere. So we really need to get a handle on this stuff. You know, and one of the things we were talking about the True Value Show yesterday, if you have a, a garbage container Get a bungee cord or something and, and strap the lid on because this wind. And I'm looking up in the, because the trees are without leaves and, and there's like 10 plastic bags hanging in the tree. So I think we need to be a little bit more conscious about what you talk about all the time. I, I absolutely agree with that, of course. I mean, that's part of being an organic gardener is we're always trying to limit our plastic use and plastic consumption. I mean, single-use plastics are just a, a tremendous issue. And as I mentioned to you before we started the show, um, you know, yeah, we have a lot of garbage laying on the side of the road, certainly here in the United States, but in, in a lot of other countries, th- third world countries or developing countries, um, especially, it's really, really crazy. I mean, I've been some places where it's just piles and piles and piles on the street of just garbage in the water, you know, and uh, it's really sad that plastic is so pervasive in the environment. So, you know, I, I know for me that as a gardener, there's lots of ways that I can reduce my plastic consumption, at least in the landscape, if not in the kitchen and the house as well. But one of the ways for me that I do it is um, plastic bags that contain mulch and uh, soil amendments and potting soil. I really try to limit the amount of products that I buy that come in plastic bags. And um, this is actually a great segue into what I wanted to talk about today, which is actually mulch, which just might seem like a weird time for our listeners to be thinking about mulch. But right now is really a great time to begin planning that process. And um, I just wrote an article, and uh, it's already getting a lot of attention on my website, Savvy Gardening. And it's all about how to calculate how much mulch you need. So you look at a landscape bed and you think, well, I need to buy mulch. I need to either buy it in bags or I need to buy it by the truckload, right? How much do I need for this area? And it's inevitable that even longtime gardeners either buy too much or they buy too little, right? Right. right. And so it's a calculator. It's a calculator system in this article that you can use to calculate. Here's Here's my bed size. Here's the square footage of my bed. And you just measure the bed. And you use this little formula and here's how much I need to order if I'm ordering it by the cubic yard, which is what you get when you buy it bulk, which is how I order all my mulch is bulk. The truck delivers it, no plastic bags involved whatsoever, easy to spread. Um, Or, you know, if you have to buy it in bags, which are by the cubic foot, 
So they're measured in different ways. And how do I determine how many of those bags I need based on are they a two, two cubic foot bag, a three cubic foot bag? I don't know. How do I know how many bags of mulch I'm going to need for that particular area in the garden? And so it's the calculator formula. It's two formulas on how you do that. And then I show you, walk you through some examples, and I show you how to determine which is going to be more cost effective for you, right? But it, for me, it's also not about the cost, even though in many cases, bulk is cheaper than bagged. Um, but it's also about the bags. It's about not needing those plastic bags. Um, so you can read that article with the mulch calculator uh, on SavvyGardening.com, S-A-V-V-Y Gardening.com. You can also access it via my Facebook page, with, which is just Jessica Walliser, or the Savvy Gardening Facebook page as well. It's a lead article on both pages. And I encourage you to go, and it's also going to save you a lot of money, right? Because if you get started on it now, you start measuring your beds, calculating, determining how much you need, you also now have the time to call around to a couple of landscape supply centers and say, hey, what's your double shredded hardwood mulch going to cost me this year per yard? And then you can say, okay, it's going to be $32 a yard uh, if, if I need two yards versus if I need to buy 22 bags of mulch and they're going to cost me $4.99 a piece. What's the math? You could save hundreds of dollars if you have a big landscape area by just doing a little bit of simple formula like that to calculate what kind of mulch. You think people over mulch just for the sheer fact that they want to put something there? They do. They definitely put it on thicker than you need to. I mean, really in the vegetable garden, if you're going to mulch with straw or um, I mulch with compost or um uh, leaf mold in my vegetable garden, you really only need one, maybe two inches of it. It does okay. not need to be thick. If you're mulching a tree or shrub bed and you're using like shredded bark or arborist chips or, you know, pine chips or something like that, you can go up to three to four inches thick. Um, you don't want to go any thicker than that because it restricts airflow to the root system of those trees and shrubs, which mm -hmm. can really impede their growth and it can uh, affect the soil and the soil organisms as well. So more is never better when it comes to mulch. You want just the right amount. And what's cool about that mulch calculator that I wrote about is that the, the number, the amount that you need is determined on how deep you want that mulch to be. So you'll use a different calculation in the vegetable garden or flower beds where you only want maybe one or two inches. And then in the shrub bed, you'll want it maybe four inches. And so then you plug in a different number. So it makes it real clear, real simple to calculate how much mulch you need in your landscape and save yourself some money. All right, listen, uh, we are going to take the 10th caller right now to win a gift certificate from Sorgles at 412-922-1020. But in, in a couple of minutes that we have before the break, so this weather, what do you tell gardeners who are like at the starting gate? Just like, get me out there. I want to do something. Uh, well, you know what? Now we're going to be picking up sticks for a while. <laughs> I know I will in my, just to drive this morning. I mean, I had to swerve around so many sticks that had fallen down on the back roads from my house just to the highway. So, uh, you know, clean up in the yard like that will continue. I think for many months, we'll probably have other wind events, maybe in a couple of ice events and snow events. And so we'll have, we'll have a lot of breakage coming down from trees. So that's certainly something um, that you can go out and do. You can also go out and, and take a look at those trees and shrubs and see if you have any branches up there that are broken but have not fallen. And so, you know, get your pruning shears out, trim those up a little bit um, and clean those out because when the trees are dormant uh, with no leaves is the best time to do your pruning for most species of trees. So uh, you can go out and just sort of assess any damage that occurred and, and get the pruning done this time of year. I, I know this sounds like I'm getting old, which I am, but I have never seen as much wind in this like last few years than, than I have in my lifetime. Mm. The wind has been just absolutely crazy i mean mm -hmm. and yesterday last night i was out 
you know, I was coming home late last night, and it was just whipping around. I don't know what's up with the wind, but uh, it's almost Mother Nature's way of kind of getting out the dust broom a little bit, just, <laughs> just cleaning things up a little bit. All right, Jessica's here. She'd love to hear from you. She'd love to talk to you about all sorts of good stuff. Whatever's on your mind, 866-391-1020, plus the trade show in Baltimore. She's got some thoughts on that. Doug is off today, enjoying the time, and uh, he'll be back with us next week. We'll take a short break. We'll come back. We'd love to hear from you right now at 866-391-1020. This is The Organic Gardeners on KDK Radio. All right, now listen, first come, first serve, we have lines available. So if you have a gardening question, something on your mind, and you've tried so many times in the past, that, that busy signal, that busy signal, well, it's not going to be this time if you call within the next few minutes, but it will be if you wait. So if you have a question for Jessica, please give us a call. Before you talk herbs, and I, I always spell it like the name herb, by the way, um, for whatever that's worth. Talk about this trade show. And does that stuff really get you all fired up when you go to something like that? Yeah. So the, uh, the, the this past week was the Mid-Atlantic Nurseryman's Trade Show. So it's sort of the biggest, not sort of, it is the biggest trade show for everybody in the East and the Mid-Atlantic region. So it's all these businesses come together in a giant show floor in Baltimore uh, at the convention center and they display their products. And then nurserymen from around the Mid-Atlantic come there to see the products and you know, buy and make their purchases to to sell at the nursery that particular year. And then certainly also folks like Doug, um, I know our Mrs. Know-It-All was there, and other garden communicators, so people like us that write and talk um, about gardening and horticulture, also convene on that convention center so that they can see the new products and new plants that are up and coming, and we have now something to write about, and we can help spread the word about those products. So um, it was interesting. I, I don't get to go to this. It's sort of bad timing for me and in, in the rest of my work, but um, it's interesting because I always see other folks in the garden media putting out on their social media about the different products that are there. And I know I, I talked to Doug the other day, and he found some really interesting products and plants that he's going to be talking about over the coming weeks that just really kind of knocked his socks off and and really had an interesting story behind them. So I'm sure that we'll get more information about them in Atlantic Nurseryman's Trade Show next week on the show. That's a mouthful. It is. Mance. <laughs> they call it Mance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Mance. All right. Talk to me about herbs. Yeah. So, I, you know, I was thinking this morning as I'm drinking my tea that uh, now is a great time also to begin planning what you want to plant in your herb garden. Now, you don't have to have a formal herb garden to grow herbs. All you need is a little container by the back door, you know, something that you can easy, quick run out when you're cooking, snip some herbs off and run back indoors. Um, This year, I would like to encourage all of our listeners to really try something new in the herb garden. Maybe you're not willing to commit to putting in a vegetable garden or, or trying some new vegetable variety out, but why not try an herb that you haven't grown before? Um, especially if you do a lot of cooking in your house, you will save a lot of money. You know, I was at the grocery store and I was looking at how much one of those little plastic, again, here we go with the plastic, one of those little plastic cases of herbs that they sell that are like $3.99, $4.99, $5.99, depending on the herb. And it really is just a little handful of chives or a little handful of sage. And the truth is you can save hundreds of dollars by growing your own herb plants. You know, one sage plant, which is a perennial herb, will live for many, many years. You can make many harvests off of it, and you'll you'll always have more sage than you need. So too with things like oregano, I mean, oregano, thyme, marjoram, 
um, savory. These are all herbs that are long lived in the garden or even in a container. And you, you can just go out, use them fresh. You can dry them and then you'll have them to use all winter long. Uh, and then also the annual herbs, things that we grow as an annual, which would be like parsley, which is technically a biennial, but we usually grow it as an annual. So parsley, cilantro is another great one to grow. So easy to grow from seed. Uh, also our basils, they're really easy to grow from seed as well. A little early to get started on those, but a lot of these other herbs, you know, if you want to, if you're itching to start some seeds, it's really early to start most seeds, but you could start some perennial herb seeds this early. And then by the time the gardening season started, you would have a really nice size plant to go out and put into the garden. Um, so I just, just try something new. One of my, my favorite herbs to grow that I use a lot of, I use a surprising amount compared to what I thought I would use is lemongrass. Um, if you love to make soups and stocks and, uh, you know, make your own bone broth and things like that, have a couple of lemongrass plants. And in fact, actually, I only ever do one because the plant gets so darn big. You will be, you will harvest all season long. And in the fall, you can get the, pull the stalks off and you can actually put them into a freezer bag in a, in a zipper top freezer bag and just freeze a whole bag full of lemongrass stalks. And then whenever you make your soup or stew in the wintertime, uh, you can just take out a few of those stalks and throw it into the soup and it will flavor it and it will give such a lovely lemon flavor. And you can use the leaves themselves. You can dry them and make a really delicious herbal tea out of them. So you don't need to squeeze a lemon into your tea. You can actually use a couple of of, um, of sprigs of lemongrass to, to really flavor your tea wonderfully. So encourage you this year definitely to take a gamble on growing some different herbs and at the very least have a, a nice little pot of basil by the back door. All right, 866-391-1020, Jim and Hopewell. Tomato seeds up first today with Jessica Walliser on the Organic Gardeners. Hey, Jim, good morning. Good morning. Yes, a friend of mine gave me tomato seeds this past fall and I never planted seeds. I wondered when I should start them. Yeah, so to, to, it's way too early to begin tomato seeds. What you really with tomatoes, and um, you want to plant them about four to six weeks before our last expected fall or spring frost. So typically, our last expected frost here in Pittsburgh is around May fifteenth. So you'll want to sow those seeds in the first two weeks of April. So we've got okay. a long wait for those. Yep, long wait for those, but they're well worth it. I hope you enjoy the flavor, and, and I hope you enjoy the process of growing from seed because it's really fun. All right, got a couple of minutes before the break. What do you want to get into uh, in the second half hour of today's show? Well, listen, while we're talking about starting tomato seeds and, and stressing to people that it is much too early, when we come back, let's talk about some of the pitfalls of starting your seeds too early because we've all been there. We all, our green thumb gets itching a little bit this time of year, and we want to start some things, so... What are the things that we can start from seed now? What are the things we want to hold off on? And what are the pitfalls of starting some things too early? You know, to kind of chime in what we're going to be talking about next hour, you know, healthy eating, slimming down. That's what people think about this time of year. And from hanging out at Janoski's and being around you too, and obviously Joe and Frank and produce, there's not a better thing that you can do for yourself health-wise than eat good, clean, fresh produce. Amen to that. <laughs> and a diversity of it. That's the other thing. You know, they always talk about eating a rainbow, right? You should be getting eating, uh, you know, all these different colored fruits and vegetables. And the reason is that each different color in a fruit and vegetable comes from a different pigment. And these pigments, like the purple is from anthocyanins, right? And those are known to be antioxidants. So they help prevent a lot of damage in our body. So having a diversity of colorful fruits and vegetables that you eat, 
introduces a lot of nutrients and a lot of antioxidants to our body and keeps us healthier. So what you're saying is you are what you eat. How about it? <laughs> Don't answer that. <laughs> I'm trying. How's the Doritos? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> one big Twinkie right here, folks. Uh, but man, what fun it's been. No, I, I, I you know, I, the thing that I've always had issues with when it comes to produce, and Joe's tried to educate me and you and Doug, I'm sure, I have a hard time getting full eating produce, you know, like vegetables and fruit alone, as opposed to putting something of an old standard diet, fish, chicken, or meat in the middle of it. Well, there's nothing wrong with having protein with your fruits and vegetables. You should have protein. You should have lean protein with your fruits and vegetables always. It's the carbs that are the bugger, right? Yeah, like the pasta. Because we get so, our, you know, there's like a dopamine release that comes, right, in your brain when you eat those kinds of foods and they make you hunger for more. And because of that, then you feel like the fruits and vegetables don't fill you up. When in reality, if you weren't filled up on the carbohydrates, you would be filled up by the protein and veggies. Uh, let's talk about what your plans are as far as your garden in the spring and just anything on your mind. Give us a call. She would love to hear from you. Our lines are there for you. And all you need to do is call us and we'll get you on the air. 866-391-1020. Also next hour, we're going to be uh, welcoming a very special guest from their HR department at Coons Market and talking about careers at that incredible brand here in Pittsburgh, now in the third generation, locally owned and independently operated Coons Market. Stay with us. I right, would love to hear from you. we got some lines available. Call us at 866-391-1020. Also, the 10th caller right now wins a gift certificate to Janoski's. And, of course, that uh, number is 412-922-1020. Speaking of Janoski's and something, too, we were talking about eating healthy. They have all those jarred products out there, which are awesome. You know, if you really plan it right, you can still be enjoying all of the things that you worked so hard to grow in your garden last year, and you know you're going to be getting something fresh. So economically, you can save money, you can be healthy, and you can really find something unique and interesting to do that kind of takes that hobby of gardening into the winter months. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, food preservation, you know, whether it's buying preserved food from right. someplace like Janoski's where, you know, especially if it's their own label stuff, you know, it was grown locally. Right. It's processed locally. It's not full of a ton of preservatives. Um, it, you know, it's not been sitting on the shelf for five years before you get it into your kitchen. Like, or you do it yourself. You do food preservation yourself. You know, for a lot of people, preserving their own food, it feels really intimidating because they didn't grow up. Like my mom grew up watching her, her you know, mother-in-law process food. So she learned, you learned from somebody else, right? Now it's sort of like skipped a generation. So my generation and younger folks, they haven't watched somebody else can. And so therefore it feels like it's really sort of an intimidating process. But I'll tell you that the Cooperative Extension Agency, you know, Penn State uh, Extension Service, they have food preservation classes that you can take. You can take courses online. Uh, My friend, Teresa Lowe, she does home preserving. You can, you know, purchase an inexpensive online course where they walk you through this, the USDA standards on how to do proper canning. Um, You know, I know Mrs. Know-It-All does some, you know, canning classes from time to time. There's people that you can learn from. Uh, and you can learn how to do it right. And if you're intimidated by the canning process, everybody can freeze. You know, this is, I plan my garden. I plan the vegetables I want to grow based on both what I can harvest and use fresh and also what's going to be easy for me to freeze to use later. So I grow way more beans, green beans, than we can ever eat in a single season. And we eat green beans a lot in the summertime. 
but I grow so many of them because I freeze them and then we use them all winter long. I don't have to buy green beans all winter. Same thing with broccoli. I grow a lot of broccoli plants. We eat a lot of broccoli in season and then we're eating the frozen all winter long. Cabbage, I freeze my cabbage. So, you know, there's there's food preservation that's a lot easier and a lot less intimidating than learning how to can is. Um, and even just, you know, freezing, skinning your tomatoes and freezing them whole, you know, and then you can use them to make sauces all winter long. So which really makes sense here. And if you folks are in any of this, we'd love to hear from you or anything on your mind in the way of gardening. We have lines available, 866-391-1020. It's always been my thought process is that it's stuff that was left over. We grew too much or we didn't eat as much, but you can actually plan it out to have that abundance that you can freeze it and store it and have that food preservation so you can enjoy it after the season. Certainly if you have enough space in your garden. And I think that's the biggest restriction for most gardeners is they they just have maybe a small backyard garden or a couple of raised beds and they just don't have the room to grow enough to eat fresh and freeze. So, you know, I I get that. But here's the other cool thing. You can go to your local farmer's market and you can buy, you know, a half bushel of their seconds on their tomatoes. You can go to Janoski's and buy a you know a bushel of their seconds peppers or whatever and freeze them. Canning stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you can you can buy all that stuff. If you can't grow it yourself, you can find a local source that does it. Uh, and there you go again, a reduction in the plastic, right? You're not needing to buy something that comes in a plastic jar or a plastic bag or a plastic container because you're doing it yourself. Uh, and you're buying it by the bushel from the farmer who might maybe gives it to you in a basket that you can take back to the market next week and say, hey, here's the basket. You can reuse it. So it's all, it's not only healthier for you, but it's healthier for the planet because the food doesn't have to travel as far, less food miles, less energy to get the food to you, mm-hmm. and then certainly less plastic in the in the preservation tank. Do you think it's good to kind of mix and match a little bit and reinvent or add something to your garden every year just to keep it interesting and fun? Or, or is it okay to just stay the course with what you know, what you learned, grew up with, if that makes you happy, so be it. But, but what are your thoughts about kind of mixing it up a little bit I every think, year? I think it's up to the individual gardener. I mean, and so much about gardening, Doug and I tease all the way, that, all the time that there's a million ways to do every gardening task. And it, pretty much everything that we do in the garden, Doug does differently than I do, right? And then Mrs. Know-it-all would do it different than either one of us would do it. So you have to find what's right for you as a gardener. If you love, you know, celebrity tomatoes and uh, California Wonder Bell peppers and you want to just stay with those because they always do well for you and you love them, stay with those. You know, nobody's forcing you to try anything new. In my own garden, I have my standards that I like to grow every year. You know, that I always know I'm going to grow uh, bright light Swiss chard. I always know I'm going to grow red ace beets. I always know I'm going to grow provider green beans because they've done well for me. But then I also always take a risk on growing a few new things because you never know when you're going to find a new favorite. So if you have the room to give a, those kinds of things a try, you know, I definitely encourage you to do that. And before the before the uh, the news break at the end, at the bottom of the hour we we were talking about seed starting and this is you know if you if you don't want to take a gamble on spending money on buying plants of new varieties when you aren't sure whether or not they're going to be good for you and they're going to be a good fit and you're going to enjoy the flavor invest in a seed packet it's going to be you know three bucks four bucks uh, it's not a huge investment. Start a, You don't just start the whole package of seeds. Just right. start one or two plants for the first season that you grow them. See if you like that variety. You know, I grew some eggplant the other year that I, I swore I was going to like, a white eggplant. And I thought, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not a giant fan of eggplants, but I didn't want to grow real big eggplants because I'm the only one in my house that eats them. So I got this sort of little white 
eggplant and I thought, okay, I'm really going to like this. But, you know, I only, I bought a whole a seed pack and there were probably maybe 24 seeds in there, but I just started two of them. And it turned out I didn't like that variety. I didn't, I wasn't really fond of it. So I passed the seeds on to another gardener who loves that variety. So you just because you invest in a seed pack, it doesn't mean you have to plant every one of the seeds. Hmm. Give it a try. Try something new. Do it on a small scale first. Um, but again, there's nothing wrong with planting the same things every year if you know that's what you like. All right. What about the soil? Can the soil take that every year, the same thing every year? Yeah. I mean, we're always recommending that you rotate your crops as much as you can. Now, I know if you've only got one little four by eight raised bed, you know, you're only talking about moving that tomato plant over two feet or three feet. And that's fine. If that's all the further you can move that crop over, it's still going to give the plant some benefits. Um, But ideally, if you have a larger garden, you want to rotate, you know, you don't want to have the tomatoes in the same spot for maybe three or four years. You don't want to have your broccoli in the same spot for three or four years, just because it's better for the soil. Uh, it does a little bit help deter pests, especially if you have a big garden. Um, but you always want to obviously uh, boost the soil. So you want to make sure every year that you're adding some high quality organic matter, whether it's compost, leaf mold, rotted down leaves, uh, some type of organic matter into that soil, well-aged manure, so that you're replenishing the nutrients that the plants take out of it. All right, let's go to uh, Bill in East Liverpool for Jessica Walliser. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Good morning. Welcome to KDKA. Hi, Rob. I'm doing okay. Hey, uh, what you said is absolutely true. I just go ahead and plant a few tomato plants and uh, some broccoli, and then anything I buy, and this is a good source if people want to have a nice drive, is just go down to Rogers, Ohio, uh, to the sale on Fridays, and there's a lot of Mennonites and Amish farmers down there that have their stuff. And you can, you know, I if I'm going to can something, that's where I go and get it. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a great idea. You know, fi- finding a source and a farmer that you trust and, um, and th- that's high quality, that's a great way to do it. And you probably, you know, save a good bit of money that way too. Mm. Yeah, mm. and uh, I love eggplant too, and I tried to wait. I didn't like it, so... I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah. 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 I thought I'd let you know. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you. It must be, I don't know if it was something in the, the skin texture. I didn't, I just, I didn't like it, but I do grow another one that I really love that is if you're looking for an eggplant variety, that's just sort of like almost like a single serving. Uh, I recommend a variety called fairy tale. It, they're just these little tiny, they're lavender with white stripes. It sounds weird, but they're beautiful. Uh, and they're tiny, they're small. And so you just can slice them in half and throw them on the grill and they're just a perfect single serving. So fairy tale is a great, another eggplant to try. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We've got John in New Kensington for Jessica. We'd love to hear from you as well. 866-391-1020. Congratulations to Beverly, winner of that certificate from Janoski's. Good morning. Guess who's back? It is our Mrs. Know-It-All. She's Denise Schreiber, a fellow horticulturist, garden writer, and an all-around garden goddess. And Denise, I know you were at Mance. Yes, I was. So I got two things to talk about. The first on Mance, 
there were I was doing a lot of videos of different exhibitors there and talking to them. But, you know, a lot of us, you know, we like the tropical look or we go to Florida and, you know, we see all the plants they grow down there. So one of them is a bougainvillea that, you know, has colorful flower bracts and we love them, but they never really do well for us. And I did a video of this gentleman who, that's his business, is bougainvillea, and I posted this video and it is a step-by-step on how to care for these gorgeous plants that we've been doing all wrong. Mm. And <laughs> so if people go to Mrs. Know-It-All's page, you'll see this video. And it was just amazing, this guy. I, I couldn't believe all the information I got from him that I never knew about growing these plants. And I've tried to grow them and really not had much success. So people don't have to feel bad that they kill plants. We do just as well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But the other thing is I am starting my home gardener certificate course again. So people, um, it's a six-week course on science-based information, everything from seed starting to propagation to harvest to trees, shrubs, flowers, disease, you name it, I cover it. Um, And they even get a nice little swag bag with like seeds and tools at the end of the class. Um, So people can either uh, go to my uh, Mrs. Know-It-All page, they can email me at edibleflowers1 at AOL.com, or they can call uh, number 412-736-0010 between 9.30 and 5, and I can give them all the information on it. We had a great time last year. I'm thrilled to be doing this again this year. And when does it start? It starts February 4th. So right around the corner. Well, I would encourage our listeners to do that as well. Thank you, Mrs. Know-It-All. You know, learning from a pro like this is is really the best way to get started in garden. Or if you've been a longtime gardener, it's a great way to learn something new that maybe you hadn't thought about before. I'm so glad you consider me a pro. No, you're talking about Mrs. (laughs) Know-It-All. All right, let's go. And you. And you, you're a pro. It's something, I'm sure, Rob. I'm still trying to figure it out. Hey, John, New Kensington, plum trees on your mind. We can help. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Uh, Doing real well. Um, I have some questions regarding a couple of plum trees that uh, look like they're beginning to die off. Uh, They have growths on them, lumpy growths on the branches. And I did a little uh, investigating, and I'm wondering if the information I found might be good or not. Uh, And it's uh, from the readings, uh, it says to cut back the trees, trying to remove as much of that lumpy growth as possible uh, and to spray the trees with vinegar. Does that sound about right? Okay, so what you have is black knot. So black knot uh, makes these sort of black, corky-like lumpy growths on the branches of plum trees. Uh, And there's certain plum trees, plum varieties that are uh, more resistant than others. There's some that are extremely susceptible to it. But black knot, you know, the first year, it kind of just looks like these little brown bumps. And then eventually over the next year or two, it develops into this this knot-like black gall on the, on the plant. What's interesting about this, this fungus is that it overwinter, or it doesn't overwinter, it has an alternate host. So its other hosts are our native uh, black cherry trees. Not the fruiting cherries, but the black cherries that you you know see in the in the forest. And so, yeah. it's whenever they're around a plum tree, we often end up with a black knot issue. Um, really, 
plum trees can live with black knot for many, many years. Uh, It will cause slow branch dieback where you'll see the knot on the branch and then it'll it'll spread to other parts of the tree. Um, You can use fungicides. Vinegar will not do, in my experience and what I've read, vinegar will not do anything. It's supposed to change the pH on the surface of the plant to make it unwelcome for the fungus to settle in. But it's very temporary, obviously, because the next time it rains, that vinegar is going to be gone. So, um, yeah, that's not an effective way to control black knot. Uh, On my trees, I actually do have two plum trees in the backyard, and we have some really big black cherry trees nearby. And I have black knot on both of my plum trees. And what I do is whenever I see it on the plant, I just go out and I trim off that branch, and I throw that branch into the garbage or, or into our burn pile, and I burn it. Um, and by just sort of consistently keeping those knots pruned out of the tree, you'll make that tree can it can live for many many years with with the organism. You know they can co- coexist together. You just want to make sure that you prune it out when you see it. All right. Well, my problem is the uh, the majority of the tree is covered with these black knots, Ooh. and my thought was to try try to cut them back radically. Yep. To a wall on top. And then uh, do whatever I have to do. If there's a fungicide you might recommend, you know. Yeah. uh, So yours, I didn't realize yours was that far advanced. So with that, when it's that far advanced, yes, you need to do a hard pruning, prune it back, really work hard to, um, you know, sterilize your pruning equipment with some hydrogen peroxide or a Lysol spray before you move from one tree to the next. That's going to be really important. Although this just does plum trees, you don't want to, you know, infect another tree for, you know, in the future. Uh, And then I would say you would want to do like a, um, like Serenade, which is a biofungicide that's based on uh, Bacillus subtilis, which is a beneficial bacteria species that helps combat that fungus. So that's what I would recommend that you do and get yourself on a on a good uh, spray protocol and program for that. And then when you see those black knots develop in the future, make sure that you prune them out as soon as you see them. Great question and great call. And I've written about that in the, in the trib before. So you can also Google black knot on plums and then my name and you'll also come up with um, all of that information in writing as well. Remember, the organic gardeners always aim to teach you how to create a better place to garden and a safer place to live. Tell them about your website real quick. Yep. So you can go to SavvyGardening.com, S-A-V-V-Y, Gardening.com. And that's where I have that mulch calculator uh, column up uh, where you can read how much mulch you need to add to your garden. Have a good and healthy day. Thank you very much. You too. Uh, all right. Stay with us. News coming up in four. And then it's the Coons Cooking Hour. Healthy food slimming down. And also how you can become a part of the Coons Market Team. All still to come in just minutes. Stay with us. Rob Pratt Sunday. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile. Get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 